Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. All righty, friends. Welcome back to our Cattleman's Call podcast. Lane Nordland, happy to be back with you uh, here today as we make our way through the, I'm calling it summertime here in 2022. The month of June is upon us, and uh, I know up in our country, we've been getting much needed rain. That's delayed a lot of branding and uh, a lot of activities uh, on the planting end for those that uh, farm as well. But hey, we will take this much needed moisture in my neck of the woods up in Montana, and I know a lot of producers are still praying for much needed rain out across the countryside. And uh, today, uh, we're going to be catching up with with two individuals that are very well known out in the countryside. specifically on the stockmanship and stewardship end of conversations. And uh, joining us uh, here today is Mr. Kurt Pate and Dr. Ron Gill. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, the importance of stockmanship and stewardship along with uh, the tours that take place during the summertime. But uh, first off, uh, Kurt, I I know you've been on the road lately. looks like you uh, were able to get back to Montana and uh, settle in for a few days. Yes, sir. Lane, I'm, I am back, and we got a big old rain here in Rygate as well, so we're happy, and uh, it's good to be home. Well, I got I got stuck in that storm right outside of Rygate the other day. I was I, I flew on the little puddle jumper from Sydney, Montana, from the stock growers back to Billings, and I was driving back to Sand Coulee here, and uh, um, there was probably five inches of sl- a slush on the road there, right, right about Green Mountain uh, Angus, and... Yeah. Uh, I, I had to pull over into the ditch. I couldn't see anything. Glad I did because about 40 yards in front of me, another car was pulled over. And then uh, a, a lovely out-of-stater decided to go by me going about 70 miles an hour <laughs> during the storm, hit me with a big old wave of slush, and then they ended up in the ditch. So uh, obviously you can't uh, drive around in slush uh, during a hailstorm either. But uh, glad I'm, I won't cuss that moisture, but I will cuss uh, that, that uh, out-of-stater that uh, did not know how to drive uh, during a hailstorm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh ron uh how, how are things going for you in your neck of the woods are, are, are you t- calling in from texas today yes sir I'm calling in from the great town of chico texas and things are good here we've been blessed with probably more than ample rain it's been timely and significant and so we're in pretty good shape right now well, that's that's good to hear, and especially for, for it's. I'm just glad parts of the nation have received good moisture over the past few years. It, it gives opportunities for for cattle to to actually be bought <laughs> and to graze. And uh, again, we're still crossing our fingers that this moisture continues and uh, our, our calves get fat, and that in that uh, dollar amount is good for our fall contracted calves. But uh, as I mentioned, uh, when folks attend the Cattle Industry Convention, one of the highlights there at the NCBA trade show is is the demonstration arena. And I know for folks, uh, the first time they maybe attend that event, when, when they when they start smelling that smell of money, <laughs> a.k.a. Having, having livestock and horses in that trade show, and they make their way down there, and uh, uh, you two are, are, are a part of that setup, uh, doing cattle handling uh, uh, demonstrations uh, along with livestock equipment and whatnot. It's truly, when I get a chance to sit down and take a break from everything that I'm doing at Cattle Convention, I try to get down there and at least watch one or two of your presentations. What's it been like being a part of stockmanship and stewardship and helping educate these important uh 
family operators out in the countryside about just becoming better operators. Uh, Ron, Ron, I'll let you uh, start with that. Well, it's been one of the more fun th- fun things I've gotten to do in my career is to participate in these stockmanship events and trainings across the, the country and work with Kurt and others in that process. And it's been really rewarding to me to kind of see the change in our industry over the past few years as we've done this. I think we have increased the conversation about stockmanship, brought the importance of improved stockmanship kind of to the forefront of some discussions. And um, and we've actually been able to see some change and have some people who are really trying to do some things different. And there's a lot of conversation around the country about it and a lot of different people working on helping others improve stockmanship. So it's, it's been kind of a fun thing to work on. Kurt, what's uh, your perspective on that? Yeah, so, you know, the first one we did was in Denver many, many years ago, and it was a big, it was in an arena, a different place. And then then I thought, well, that was great, and it was very popular. And, and uh, so then it's every year since we've been at a convention. And I, I think it's really interesting to me to see the age of producer. First of all, it's a good place to sit down. Any convention, you need somewhere to sit down and get the your back to quit hurting and this is a great thing because it's a place to sit down and rest and learn something at the same time. So that's perfect. But what we're seeing is, you know, we, Ron and I have had the same people come every year for years and visit with us. But then we always see these new folks and there's so many more young people coming to convention now. Would you agree, Ron, than I used to see, you know, 10, 12 years ago, there's a lot more young people coming. And I think that's just great. I'm like, Kurt, it's, it's interesting to see the, the audience change and shift and not only at our demos, but at the regional events as well, there's more and more young people coming and trying to incorporate better stockmanship. I think earlier in their career. And and I'm really glad to see that one. There's a whole lot of opportunities. I think for young people who are good stockmen to really set themselves apart, either in their family operation or within the industry as a whole. So to me, it's really in refreshing to see that number of young people coming there and trying to learn and uh, but like Kurt said we get a lot of have a lot of fun dealing with the ones that come see us on a regular basis too and they're always telling stories of things they've done and improvements they've made and it's kind of refreshing to kind of keep up with everybody from that standpoint too no very true and and Kurt for for yourself uh, maybe our listeners haven't been to a convention yet or, or attended the regional stockmanship and stewardship tours that we're, we're going to talk a little more about uh, the uh, remaining upcoming dates being held uh, uh, in two different states uh, out, out across the U.S. But uh, let's just share a little more about how you got into uh, into this profession. I, I know a little bit about your background, but let's just talk about growing up in Montana, uh, uh, being a being a horseman, uh, being a, uh, a stock handler, and uh, also growing up, uh, also a little bit in the auction business as well. Let's just share a little bit about your background and how you found yourself uh, in the stockmanship and stewardship realm. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> it's a fun story. So, you know, rodeoing and all those things that you do as a young person. And and, uh, and then I became, after I quit riding bucking horses, I became a rodeo announcer. But I was always riding colts and doing things. And so anyway, I got into the horse world and started doing quite a few horse clinics. But 
the main advantage I think I had was the ability to speak about what you're doing. And Ron is really good at that as well. And, you know, there's lots of people that are good at stockmanship and stock handling, but they just can't verbalize it. And so, you know, after doing so many of the horse clinics and starting Colts, you know, two hour Colt starting demonstration, you really got to break things down and it just opens up. And then, but my horsemanship was always based on a stockman's perspective. And so I decided that there was a lot of people in the horse world, but there weren't many people in the stockmanship world. And so that's where I decided to kind of shift my focus. And I'm so glad I did so many cult startings and learned how to teach and break things down and explain things before I went into the cattle handling, because it's a lot more, it's a lot more uh, complicated to talk about stockmanship than horsemanship. Really, if you really want to know about it, there's so many different, different components to it. And, uh, the thing I think Ron and I have done over the last, we've worked with this so many years together. And the thing I think we've really changed our focus in is not only teaching people how to handle livestock, but also throwing the component in of teaching people how to teach others at home how to handle livestock. And it's so hard to put into words. And that's where we really shine, I think, because we've learned how to teach people how to teach at home. So, Kurt, obviously, like you said, uh, uh, doing those cult startings, uh, working uh, with people that maybe have started cults before, maybe it was their first time, and most of the time you also have an audience watching those those cult startings sometimes. Uh, was it more was it was it an easier task doing those cult startings and, and walking people through it, or or is it more difficult sometimes to have a producer? on the stockmanship end of things that have done things, you know, a certain way. What, what, what was, I, I guess, can you parallel those? What, what, how that has really helped you hone your craft, uh, working with somebody that, uh, maybe thinks they know a lot more and, uh, aren't as willing to maybe open their mind to trying something else. How, how have you kind of broken down that barrier? I guess I I'm trying to ask and helping people realize yeah. we can always improve. Yeah, many years ago, I, I heard a, uh, I was at a Prina deal, and this guy was giving us, telling us, teaching us how to do better presentations, and he talked about the three, eight, the three any, a good presenter always has the three E's, educate, entertain, and touch people's emotions, and if you have those three E's, you'll be successful in giving any kind of a presentation, so it's real easy, the education part is real easy. The entertaining part, that's pretty easy, especially when you're starting a colt, because the horse, when he goes bucking and belling around the ring, that's pretty easy. But with the cattle handling, I think touching people's emotions is probably one of the most important parts because you can get people to change when you get them to kind of get emotional about it. Whether, you know, Ron's so good at talking about getting left at the cow pen by his wife, by making her mad. And and we've all done those kind of things. And his answer to that is just keep the keys in your pocket and she can't leave you. And uh, that's entertaining. That's funny right there. And uh, his wife gives him the look and it's all, all fun and games, but it gets people opened up and it, it makes them feel like, yeah, I've done that same thing. And now how can we change that? So I think the emotion part with livestock handling is a part that has to be so we can get people to decide to change. Well, thanks for sharing yeah, your perspective on that. And Dr. Gill, uh, let, let's uh, share with our audience a little bit about your background and uh, how you found yourself uh, 
uh, in the profession of animal science and uh, now in the stockmanship and stewardship program there within CBA. Let's just share a little bit about your background and uh, and uh, and how you became a doctor, maybe too. All right. Um, well, I grew up out in oh, I guess you'd call it the south side of the South Plains of Texas, between Snyder and Post Texas. Uh, born in the big city of Sweetwater, if anybody knows where that's at. But my dad managed ranches uh, out in West Texas, and I grew up on some pretty big places in that part of the world. And I uh, graduated out of a class of five boys. We had 60 kids in our entire school, and that's kindergarten through 12th grade. So big metropolitan area, Fluvanna, Texas. And um, from there, I went to Angelo State, and back and just said that the people that we worked with and neighbored with, and that came to the ranch to help with brandings and shipping in the fall and stuff, were it was always fun to work stock with them, and it was never a big ordeal um, to work stock. When I left home, I thought everybody worked cattle the way we did in that region. And that was not the case. <laughs> so when I got away, there was a lot of difference between what I grew up with and what I experienced once I left that region of the state. And so I started trying to figure out why, you know, I probably wasn't 18 years old, and I started trying to figure out why in the world was things so different from what I grew up with and what I was experiencing when I went to college and left home. Um, and I went to Angelo State and uh, actually thought I would probably try to go into ag business and kind of majored in ag business and minored in accounting and economics and thought I'd manage trust ranches uh, for the banking industry. It's kind of where I thought I could fit in the, keep my foot in the door in beef cattle production. Well, that, I got an opportunity then to coach judging teams. And so that's why I actually stayed and got a master's degree. I had no intent intention of doing that, but I coached judging teams there at Angelo State. And that led me getting the offer to go to Texas A&M and coach livestock judging teams there. And I switched my focus from cattle and beef cattle and primarily to um, horses. Actually, I'm a PhD in equine nutrition. Very few people even know that because I don't do much work in that area anymore. But uh I had a big interest in horses. I started colts, trained horses all the time I was growing up. Uh, we started all our own horses at the ranch, and me and my brothers did most of that. And so I got to college, and that's what I did for extra money, uh, was start colts and ride other people's horses. Kind of got more interested in some of the stockmanship stuff there. Um, and that was about the same time Alan Savory was kind of coming into Texas in the late 70s. And so I actually did my master's work on a savory grazing system and looking at moving a stock and stock grazing and distribution and behavior and that kind of got me interested as well in some of the animal behavior aspects of it. And uh, when I got the, well, let's back, back up again. Uh, Angelo State, me and a couple other boys that were pretty good stockmen, we started gathering feral goats off ranches up in the Edwards Plateau 
and we kind of got a name for being able to get stuff corralled and pinned that other people couldn't gather. And so that was a lot of fun and uh, learned a little bit more about behavior and studying sheep and goats. And if you can work sheep and goats without getting mad and losing your temper, you're a pretty good stockman. It's been my conviction over the years. Uh, so that, that's kind of how I just kept my foot in it over the years and working on that. And eventually got finished up my PhD at A&M and went to work as a livestock specialist for the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. And then really shortly after that, we, in the early 90s, I started doing cattle handling trainings just because I, I thought I knew some things other people could use. And so we started trying to do some things early in the mid-90s, actually, with the county agent in Fort Worth was the first one I ever did. And then I got to trying to study Bud Williams. He had moved up here in this north central Texas area around Bowie and so I actually went to some mud schools and tried to incorporate some of that as, as well and kind of rocked around there and didn't do a whole lot with it till about two thousand and five. And we leased a big ranch that and I had a big preconditioning operation on it. And I got really interested in the stockmanship and trying to improve health on those calves in that preconditioning operation with stockmanship. And the results that I, I saw out of that, which was pretty significant, it's, it wasn't research. I'm not going to talk about all the specifics about it, but it let me know that if, if I can do that with stockmanship and improve the health of cattle and the efficiency of gain and all the other things that happened, then maybe we need to start telling this story a little more and work on it. And I think it's about that same time, Kurt, that y'all came to cattle raisers convention in Fort Worth, somewhere around Oh five or six probably. And so I, I was, had had an ankle operated on and went down and watched that. And that was pretty darn interesting. It was Kurt and Joel Ham from here in Texas and Charlie Trayer. And uh, then the next year, I think it was taken to the CBA convention, as Kirk mentioned, and I was doing a shoot side management kind of presentation there, and Kirk came over after their deal, and that's kind of how we got introduced. I didn't meet him up he was in Texas, and I guess it was the next year we started in 2007, we started trying to do some stockmanship trainings. Uh, a few of us here in, in Texas, and Kirk came and helped do those, and that's kind of how we got started. But it's always been an interest of mine, a and something that I've studied probably my whole life, didn't realize it early on, but once I left home, I realized there's a different way to do things. And I've managed sheep operations. I've managed swine operations. I've had horses all my life. And so mixing all that together and trying to understand stock behavior is kind of where I got my feel and start in this thing. But being able to link up with Kurt and learn how to present live uh, the clinic aspect of it, has been a real help for me as well because he was really, really good at it. Well, thanks, Ron, for sharing uh, your background there, and uh, I, I think we'll have to do a separate show on on uh, on about goat ropings and goat tie-ins maybe down the road here because I, I always I've always wondered about you know goat tie-ins at competitive event and rodeo, and have you ever jumped off your horse and tied a goat before? 
Have you ever seen a fat boy jump off a horse and try to tie anything? <laughs> it's not pretty. So no. <laughs> oh, I just had to. Uh, had actually, to... I tried to rope something back when I was about 17 years old and tore my leg nearly completely off. And I kind of dampened my enthusiasm for chasing stuff through the pasture. <laughs> well, uh, well, again, thanks for that insight and, and thanks for taking my humor there. But I, I, I should mention before we get too far into our conversations that, uh, uh, the stockmanship and stewardship tour. Uh, one, one of those has already taken place over in the state of Virginia, but uh, we have two more events coming up, uh, one June 16th through the 18th. They're in Leavenworth, Kansas, and also later on this summer, August 12th through the 13th in Auburn, Alabama. Now, now these do rotate uh, every single year throughout the nation, so it gives, uh, gives uh, attendees the opportunity to, to uh, come uh, from, from the, those states or the region and uh, attend these events. So they're not always held in the same states or locations, but I just wanted to give a shout out for the uh, Leavenworth, Kansas in Auburn, uh, Alabama. A stockmanship and stewardship tour stops uh, still coming up here in a few weeks. Uh, but uh, as, as I kind of alluded to uh, earlier with Kurt, uh, Kurt, I asked you kind of how you could parallel uh, colt starting uh, with, with cattle handling and stockmanship. And uh, and you touched on that about being able to, to to tell those stories and have some humor tied into that to, to really get people to, to be engaged. Um, so so Ron, I will uh, ask you just uh, what what is your response to those producers that uh, that may be a little hesitant about attending, whether it's a stockmanship and stewardship top stop or uh, uh, attending a workshop during the cattle industry convention. How do you break down that, uh, that barrier to, to, to help educate someone that's been in the business for 50 years about uh, maybe just a new technique on how they can walk down an alleyway differently with some heifers? Well, I think that's kind of the approach you take, you know, everybody knows a lot. But if you're really open-minded, you'll figure out how much stuff you don't know. And there's always some way to get a little bit better at what, you, what you're what you currently doing. Uh, I had a horse specialist work for A&M for a long time. He said, when you're green, you're growing. When you get ripe, you get rotten. And I use that line quite a bit to just encourage people to continually look to get better and improve. And, uh, you know, Kurt and I, are, I think, really emphasize, we're not saying anybody's doing a bad job, but even if you're a great stockman, hopefully either I can learn something from you or you can learn something from me if we get into conversation and discussion about stockmanship. And so I continually learn new things as I do this and work with other people. And anytime I go to somebody else's place, I experience an issue or situation that they deal with that helps me um, discuss those in the future as well. So I, I just encourage people to have an open mind and try to keep learning. And, you know, if anybody gets it all figured out, they need to be in charge because we hadn't got it all figured out, but we've got some things that'll help people get along a little bit better. And going off of that, Kurt, what, what, what can attendees expect to, to, to learn? How will they participate hands-on uh, during these tour stops? Uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna back up Ron a little bit there with what he just said. I you know what I find really interesting, Lane, is is the people that are really good, that are you can just tell they're a good hand. They want to come and they want to enhance themselves a little bit more. The ones that are probably probably uh, not as good as they think they are, 
they're the ones that will walk on by it and kind of shake their head at this stuff. And I, I find that fascinating in any kind of learning situation. People that are really good want to get better. And people that think they're good already think they're good. So they're, they're good enough. And I, I just find that fascinating that people go that way. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so to come to, uh, you know, what they'll probably learn and what we try to do each time is, is we, we work. If, if the area is a horseback area, we try to have horses there and we work horseback and then we get a foot. So we work both the horseback and foot. Now, some places we go like in Virginia, there weren't many horseback people there. So we did everything afoot. So that's the first thing we do. We try to fit the region with what we present. And then uh, we try to always do some outside gathering type stuff, even if it's in a small arena. And, you know, working cattle into a corral through the gate. And we're going to try to go through every aspect of something that people would come up against with their livestock handling. And we break it down. We really, we were doing a presentation with Temple here I think it was last year or so, and and I asked her when we were just sitting around talking what which we should do, and she said you've got to get back to the basics, and she kind of cussed me for getting too too fancy and too complicated, and and she was right, so we got to really try to cover the basics, and then we build from there. So we're going to sort cattle, we're going to put cattle in the pen, we're going to put them up a chute, we're going to load cattle, we're gonna we're going to try to sort one off of the bunch and take them and put them in the chute and act as if we were sorting a animal that needed treated. And we're going to try to simulate everything we possibly can and talk a lot about it while we're doing it. And that's what I think we've really, really gotten good at working for, I don't know how many years we've been working together, but we can work, work off of each other and break things down and help enhance each other's presentation where we try to get everything covered from all different aspects of the deal. You know, I'm, I'm pretty cowboy based. Ron is too, but Ron, Ron can really communicate with, you know, a lot of folks and, and I can communicate and people listen to certain ways of talking. And I think it's nice that the two of us, that's why it's kind of beneficial to have two of us. We, a lot of times we say the same things, but we just say them in different ways that maybe somebody else can understand that the person right next to them would get something from me that they wouldn't get from Ron and vice versa. And I, I think that's really nice. And that's, we really strive on presenting as many ideas as we can in that short time we have with folks. And it is very interesting. Obviously, you participate in these uh, in these tour stops or in the presentations you do do during the NCBA trade show during cattle convention. It's it's to better ourselves. It's it's to to take stress off of yourself, but also those cattle, and uh, just to become a better operator. Now, also, Ron, could you maybe elaborate more on how stockmanship and stewardship, sustainability, and consumer perceptions of cattle handling and beef nutrition and sustainability all come together when it comes to consumers decision making processes at the grocery store. Yeah, that's been an interesting I don't say development. It's always been an underlying part of consumer confidence is the welfare of the animals uh, that they're going to consume for food. I think it's become a little more pronounced now uh, just because of society in general. And if you actually ask a consumer what they think about 
when they hear the term sustainability, welfare is still the number one thing that comes to mind. I think that was out of a, one of the latest surveys that NCBA did. It was very interesting that, that welfare has come to the top in nearly every category we talk about in consumer confidence. To me, the best thing about that is the better job we do at managing the welfare of the cattle, the better it is for us economically, environmentally, uh, physically, everything actually works better if we as ranchers manage for the welfare of those animals. And so it's, it's not a lot of times we're at a disconnect, I think with the general public. And in this area, we ought to be excited that that's the big draw uh, and concern because we can address that and we can handle that. And so I think we have the responsibility to really take it serious but the, like I said, the best thing about it, we get the economic and social benefits from improving welfare. And so it, to me, it's a win-win that we really embrace that aspect of the public. We've got the tools to help provide them what they need. And I still think it's 96% of the population will say they'll eat beef or, or animal protein if it's raised humanely. And if we can maintain that, level of confidence and support for our industry we'll have to learn to deal with those other four percent that are so loud but we can take care of the ones that really want to eat our product and also that ties into the conversation around beef quality assurance or, or bqa kurt could you t- touch upon what the bqa program is for our listeners that maybe have not heard about it and and how that also comes into how they can receive uh, a little bit higher price uh, on, on their calves just being bqa certified and checking that off whether at the stockyards or on the video sale and also finally how you can become bqa certified on the stockmanship and stewardship stops yeah so every stop has a uh certification class and process and uh i just got recertified when i was doing one in idaho here just a oh a few weeks ago and uh yeah i got bqa and bqat certified so i got her all covered and it's really a great great experience you you get to go through the whole process with everybody there and and it, it makes it fun and enjoyable and you learn a lot every time i don't i think ron gill has probably given more bqa presentations than anybody going I'm not sure about that, but pretty close. And I think I've watched more than anybody else going because most of the programs I go to, I uh, they have a BQA training, and I watch them and I learn something with everyone. So I don't, I never get tired of them. They're great, and uh, how they'll make you more money. I think becoming BQA certified <clears throat> these days. So it used to be in the. I'm reading a book right now called Dakota Cowboy. And it's about in the 1900s, right? The change of the turn of the century when they used to bring thousands of cattle into the South Dakota, North Dakota area and graze those cattle on that great grass out in that part of the world. And, uh, you know, they were stockmen. There was, they talked about being good handlers and stockmen. And in, in 1900, being a good stockman required a lot different skills. Like you had to be able to shoot wolves and, uh, and, and just graze cattle and handle cattle. You didn't have to do much vaccinated or anything. Now, as the years have gone on, we've added more and more components to being a good stockman. And so to me, BQA, Beef Quality Assurance, is just the icing on the cake of becoming a great stockman. You can be a great handler, 
you can be a great horseman, you can be all those things, but you're not a complete stockman until you understand how to treat your vaccines properly to get the most efficacy. Where do we give the injections? All these different things. And then now cattle handling has become a big part of beef quality assurance and the way we work our animals so they are in a state of mind that when they get in the chute, that they're able to take the vaccines like they should or antibiotics or whatever we're giving them. So BQA is just another add-on to the word of being a good stockman. And I think if you aren't BQA certified and you don't understand those things, you have not reached the potential in 2022 that you could and you're kind of stuck back in 1900 if you don't have those things. So you need to get in on the game and become a part of a stockman of the now times. <laughs> that makes any sense. And, and Ron, what, why why is it important in your eyes? Obviously, you are a BQA educator. Uh, how beneficial, I mean, just let's stress the importance of, of just becoming BQA certified and truly how easy it is to become certified. Well, it. You know, getting certified is one of the easiest things you can do. It just takes a little bit of time. Uh, within two hours, most of the time, anybody could be BQA certified going through a training. And it, you can do it online. Nearly every state has in-person trainings that you can get BQA certified. But NCBA runs the online training. It's free as well. And so all these trainings are free. And all we're trying to do is is make sure that people understand the importance of doing things right. Uh, everybody wants to get paid extra for doing things right. And I, I always struggled with that. You know, to me, doing things right should be the base. If you do things above and beyond that, then maybe you get compensated for it. And I think we can do that through some of these value-added programs that require you to do things in a BQA manner, but then you can market that uh, in the calves and cows that you sell out of those programs. And so I think that's how you really get paid for it. It was interesting to me to see, uh, I think they looked at the data coming through Superior Video Auction and actually found a two or three dollar hundred weight premium for cattle that were produced in a BQA uh, certified operation. And that, to me, it was kind of surprising because that, that's just saying we're doing things right. And uh, I'm glad it did show a little premium, but to me, it's just another one of those badges that you can attach to your cattle to let people know you're doing the right thing and you're doing the, the right thing correctly. And, you know, BQA really started out trying to eliminate injection site blemishes. And we were so successful at that that we don't hardly ever even talk about blemishes being a problem at the consumer end of it, although there's still some issues. Uh, it's now shifted down to where welfare and, and stock handling may be the number one thing we're talking about in BQA. So it's, it's interesting how that's changed over the years since BQA really started in the mid eighties till now, those 40 years, we have really changed where we focus and how we focus, but we've really not changed the right thing to do. We just changed the, the way we talk about it. BQA, the right way is the only way. We, that is correct. We, we've been having, Elaine, we've been having to do these, uh, we're doing a lot of video stuff for BQA and uh, Ron and I have said that a lot of times. BQA, the right way is the only way. 
Well, and uh, and one thing I do want to maybe there may be some producers out there that uh, don't don't do things horseback. Maybe maybe they're a four wheeler operation. Uh, I don't want to scare them off from from participating in stockmanship and stewardship since I uh, have an equine uh, a gentleman with an equine doctorate and, and another gentleman that is renowned for his horsemanship skills. Maybe just talk about that too. This is for all producers, not just for the the real cowboys out there. We try to fit what we do with the, the area we're working in. Some places, if you didn't do it horseback, they think you didn't know how to work cattle. Some places, if you do it horseback, they think you don't know how to work cattle the way they do. And so we try to, to address all of those. And the hardest one for us to demonstrate is working cattle with an ATV in a confined area. And we've tried that time or two, and it's just yeah. real difficult to make that work in the settings we do. Now, you can work cattle out in a bigger area and move cattle with ATVs. We talk about that all the time. The techniques are exactly the same, regardless of what tool you're using to get it done. And we emphasize that in all of the presentations, because even if you're in Nevada, there's going to be somebody using an ATV to move stock. They don't all ride horses, but most of them do. And so be vice versa. As we go East, it gets to be less and less horses, more and more mechanized means of of moving livestock but i think it's also important to teach them how to do it on foot because as kurt and i always point out you can use an atv a lot and do a lot of things out in bigger spaces but when you get up close you can't maneuver one enough to do things like it should be done let's put it that way so you need to step off the blasted thing so i think it's important to people to have the confidence that they can go move livestock with whatever they have access to, whether they're walking, riding, driving, it doesn't matter. The techniques are there. The concepts are the same. It's just the tool you're using is a little different. But I see so many people that don't have the confidence that they can step out on foot and get a cow to do what they need to do. And that's one thing I really like about our demos. We get to demonstrate that, yeah, you can do that. It's not about outrunning a cow. It's about out thinking and out positioning yourself sometimes to get a cow to do what you want to do. That's right on. So, uh, you know, we, we, both of us have had to, or got to, I guess had to, or got to use a four wheeler or side by side at different times. And, and what happens to me all the time is, and Ron too. And I, I, so you'll step off your four wheeler to get a cow through a gate or get the cattle through the gate. And then you've got the pressure going so good. You just stay with it and you got to walk back and get your four wheeler after get the cows back in the corral a quarter of a mile back. So it's, it's uh, that's uh, the fun part about it. And uh, we, we often joke about uh, some of the horses we see, you can't turn them any sharper than you can a four wheeler or back them up any faster. So it's just like riding a four wheeler. So we, we use a little bit of humor in there sometimes to, uh, to point out how, important it is to have the right pressure at the right angle at the right time in the right moment and uh you know it doesn't matter what you're doing you've got to have that going or or you have to use a different style of of uh stockmanship and that's when you kind of use brute force and lots of noise and those things and so all these different methods are good to use as a teaching moment to get to people to understand how important it is to be precise with your pressure and that's what becoming a better stockman is, is becoming more precise with the putting on of pressure and the taking off of pressure. 
and so they're all they're all good things to talk about and see and you know it, it'd be fun to be able to go back in a day or two and see what people are saying sometimes about our demonstrations i don't look on the internet so i don't know ron probably does a little more what if people are agreeing or disagreeing or whatever but uh you know i'm sure there's some cowboys that when we say something positive about a four-wheeler that they don't like it too good and some <laughs> farmers that don't think us cowboys are too good either so it's it's all it's all relevant to how you go about it and how you do it i see people that get along real good calling their cows into a corral and then I see people that would never do that. So whatever method you use and work for you, that's probably what you ought to do. And just let us enhance it a little bit. Now, Kurt, my next question was going to be if, if you had one single thing that you believe most important when it, come, when it comes to livestock handling, is that answer going to be just understanding that pressure point? Would that? Yes, that's, that's it. And that's whether you were the horse, a cow, a pig, a sheep or a human learning how to pressure things properly is real, real important. And I, I, I've got my, so I, I've been, you know, as I do different demonstrations, I try to come up with new ideas for myself so I don't get bored of it. And I've been talking now kind of the last few demonstrations about developing your, your personality for stockmanship as you would develop your personality with getting along with people. And if we think about our personalities, uh, some people have a real nice presence and some people have a presence that you just assume maybe they wouldn't be around you. And I think cattle get the same way. So I try to break the uh, cattle handling thing down to the pressure and three kinds of pressure, a driving pressure, a drawing pressure, and a maintaining pressure. And if we get real good at all three of those pressures, then we can increase our stockmanship to the highest level. And I think if we're talking about humans, whether it be raising kids or, or being a teacher or just being a good business partner, those three kinds of pressure, driving pressure, drawing pressure, and maintaining pressure are all important as well. So that's, that's how I kind of try to teach myself to get better. And hopefully it helps some folks understand when they're listening to it or seeing it work, how those different pressures apply and how they'll make you a better stockman. Ron, do you agree that that uh, would you would you say that pretty much the same thing about if you had one single most important thing to to share right now when it comes to livestock handling? What would you say understanding pressure is the most important, or, or what would that one thing be if not? No, I, I totally disagree with that. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, no, that that is one of the key things about all of this is is figuring out how to put pressure in have the confidence to put enough pressure on at the right time. And, you know, Kurt in particular talks about this. We all both do, but you can't tell somebody how to be, have their timing and their pressure right. The time you see it, you tell somebody, they interpret it, they apply pressure, they're always late. And so we stress that they've got to learn to be able to step up and put pressure and see if it works. If it doesn't, you can always readjust and go. But the timing of pressure and the amount of pressure is so critical in getting cattle to to do. And whether it's pulling or pushing or driving pressure or pulling pressure or maintaining. And it's, it's really neat when you get a set of cattle that you can demonstrate those so easily to people that a lot of times we get so busy working stock, we don't ever take time to let them teach us something and observe what's happening. So I think that's one good thing about the demos. We can kind of call our shots 
tell them what we expect to happen. It don't always happen, but we can then demonstrate that to, you know, and let people kind of see what it looks like when you give it time and have your, your timing right. You can get these pretty precise responses out of cattle. So that that's, a I think, the most critical thing is to figure out the timing on those pressures as well. Well, again, these this is just touching on the uh, cornucopia, the plethora of knowledge that uh, Kurt and, and Ron and all all the different presenters that will be uh, participating in the upcoming Stockmanship and Stewardship Tour stops. Uh, again, just a reminder, those dates, June 16th through the 18th, 2022 in Leavenworth, Kansas, and then August 12th through the 13th this year, 2022 in Auburn, Alabama. And uh, again, make sure and get registered for those. If you are from those states or regions, uh, uh, make sure and attend those. And if you're not BQA certified or if you need to re-up that certification, you can do that at these stops. And also be looking at the stockmanshipandstewardship.org website because uh, next year the, these tour stops could just be in your backyard or just a few hours from the home place. And also just... Uh, uh, when you attend the Cattle Industry Convention, uh, the uh, the 2023 event, I believe, is going to be down in New Orleans. Make sure and find the, the demonstration arena where uh, so many uh, of uh, these conversations uh, will be had. But, uh, gentlemen, I, I know you're probably having a busy day here today or just enjoying that moisture like I, I know Kurt and all the producers in his neck of the woods are, are, are enjoying. But uh, any, any last uh, thoughts or comments, uh, Dr. Gill? Oh, I actually should point out, one time uh so so he doesn't tell it on me one time dr gill and i were shooting a tv story and i had this nice walk up through the demonstration arena probably 30 feet talking and talking and i was supposed to introduce dr gill and i get to him and i couldn't remember his name (laughs) that that uh i don't think i've been on tv since but uh uh, he's (laughs) what's your name sir i'm I chuckle at that quite often. Uh, <laughs> but if you knew how I struggled with names, you would not feel bad about that at all. So <laughs> it is a common issue for me. But the, one other thing we haven't talked about is uh, there's going to be a virtual stockmanship and stewardship event this year as well. I don't know that they've set a date for it yet or not. But it's going to allow us to do some things that we can't do the in person and more of the outside uh, big pasture moves and stuff like that so even if they've come to one of these regional ones and i'd still encourage everybody to go to a regional event if they possibly could but look for that virtual event as well we we learned we could do that and touch a lot of people during covid when we, i guess it was two years ago or whatever it was that we actually did the first virtual stockmanship and stewardship event and we've gotten gotten pretty excited about this and so wanted to bring that up as well as another option for people to participate well well, thanks for bringing that up ron because uh, yeah like you mentioned that that date hasn't been set yet but uh uh, again, uh, important reminders, all that information will be found at stockmanshipandstewardship.org. And I, I, I don't know if Kurt was uh, closing a gate or what he was doing there, but I saw him go outside with his iPad. Uh, Kurt, are you still there? Uh, any last closing comments I'm, before I let you get back to your chores? I'm with you. I just had to get out of the house for a minute. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> the uh, 
the thing that I think most people don't understand, and I'll get back in the in the picture here. I think with the uh, stockmanship and stewardship events, the great thing is 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 the uh, kinship that you get with some of the other attendees. And so, you know, I see folks that become friends and like-minded people do like-minded things, and then they just get after the uh, stockmanship and stewardship event, people keep in contact and they keep pushing each other to get better. And uh, the the, the uh, virtual event that Ron's talking about, we've already shot most of that, and it's it's going to be great. I, I think it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful deal, and uh, I think there's going to be a lot learned from that. So I am so proud to be a part of, you know, the NCBA and Merck have really stepped up the last few years and, and really made these programs where I think they're the best bang for the buck that you're going to spend on any of these educational programs. They, they really give a lot of information in a short amount of time and it's fun and they feed you good. And it's, it's kind of like an old ranch gathering. You just, everybody just kind of sits around and, and enjoys each other and learns. And, and it's a, it's a great experience. So I really hope people will take the time and think about coming and joining us. Well, again, as I mentioned, those dates are, are coming up soon. And, and Dr. Gill, uh, uh, I'll let you jump in there. Well, like Kurt said, it, it's a good time. Uh, we all have a great time doing it. We get to meet some people. We had a young lady at the last one we had. Her job was teaching people how to be better presenters. I think I don't put a little pressure on you when you go into the arena, have somebody you know is judging your presentation skills. But it was interesting. She she didn't school on us too much during the event. But that was interesting to have those conversations about something totally, not totally unrelated, but unrelated to stockmanship. It's very interesting what you can learn about people when you sit down with them at the table and spend two days with them. So it, it's a great learning experience, a great social uh, engagement, and uh, hope hopefully people take advantage of it. Well, again, very well said, and uh, as I mentioned, those dates, uh, all information on stockmanship and stewardship and also BQA certification, just just check out stockmanshipandstewardship.org. Again, a big thank you to uh, Mr. Kurt Pate, and uh, what's that one, guys? Oh, oh, Ron Gill. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, gentlemen, both for joining us and uh, and uh, just briefly talking about all that can be learned and, and relearned and whatnot. Uh, whether that's at the demo arena during the cattle industry convention or at one of these important stockmanship and stewardship stops. Well, friends, that will do it for today's Cattleman's Call podcast. I'm Lee Nordlund. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.